be great if you still had your Bibles in front of you and had it open to Matthew chapter 25, as we'll refer to it during our meditation. So about halfway through my three-year seminary education, as I was preparing to be a pastor, I took a class that they called Advanced Biblical Exegesis. That sounds like a scary class title, right? It was really scary for me. Uh, The professor's name was Dr. Kara. And Dr. Kara called this class the hardest class in seminary. And you know what he said after that on the very first day? Uh, I should tell you first that in America, an A is the highest grade that you can get, if you were not aware of that. He said, Dr. Kara said, almost no one should get an A in this class. In fact, he said, for many of you, if you get an A in this class, you are sinning. And we thought, what a weirdo. This is the weirdest professor I've, I've ever met in my life. What did he mean? Well, he went on to explain to us. He said, look, many of you have spouses and children. You have jobs. Some of you are in ministry right now. All of us had other classes. We also had friends. We had churches. And Dr. Kara said, folks, this is a class. This is not your life. You want to get an A in life, he said. So be faithful to what God has called you to do. God has called you to much more than getting an A in advanced biblical exegesis. Secular culture, the world around us, doesn't do faithfulness very well. The world around us does much better, doesn't it, at success. The world around us says, get your A in advanced biblical exegesis. Get into gimme. Get into your dream university and your dream job. Get your high salary so that you can buy things, so that you can show your success through conspicuous consumption. You might think that this parable, which has to do with money and investments, and return on those investments is about success, but it's not. Jesus tells us a story here about a master who leaves for a long journey, and he gives his wealth to these three servants, verse 14. And what he doesn't say is, listen, when I come back, you better show me some results. I want an ROI. I want a return on investment. What he does instead is he simply entrusts his wealth to these three servants. And like I said, as we were reading, it's a lot of wealth. A talent is 20 years of a day laborer's wages. And that means that one of these servants gets a century's worth of wages to take care of. And even the one who just gets one talent gets 20 years of wages. That's a lot. But the master doesn't say, I demand success. The master doesn't say, don't you lose a single penny. But what does the master expect? The master simply expects faithfulness. And the servants, look at verse 15, they have capabilities and they have different capabilities. 
But still, for each of them, no matter what their capabilities, this is a huge responsibility. The servants should feel both deeply honored and kind of afraid about this, right? If one of you uh, told me that you were going away for several years and you're going to give me five million Swiss francs to take care of, I would be terrified. (laughs) I would be so nervous. But I would also be deeply honored. And then I would go out and I would start a business. When I started a church in South Carolina in the United States, I had to go to um, investors, church agencies, as well as individuals and churches. And I had to convince them that the work we were doing and starting a new church mattered. And you know what the agencies that give money to churches that are starting, you know what they said to our little group of church planting people? They said two things. Number one, they told us, remember, perhaps the majority of new churches do not survive beyond five years. And we thought, thanks. But they said, number two, you are not a failure, even if your church fails to last more than five years. And they assessed our abilities. They took account of risk factors. But by the time they actually gave us the money that we needed to start our new church, we felt honored, but we also felt not pressured. We were free to exercise creativity with responsibility, to experiment, to adapt, and to do something that was new and beautiful without the pressure that we must succeed. You see, what was asked of us was not so much success, but faithfulness. We forget sometimes, don't we, that the Lord God is not short on resources. When he gives us opportunities, he doesn't need to stand over our shoulders and demand success. The Lord God is not your boss or your board of, um, that's looking over your stock investments. We're not here to bear the fake secular fruit of success. That's not the way the Lord works. Now, if the world is not really interested in faithfulness but success, well, then what's religion's problem? Now, sometimes religious people just want more, what they say is more butts in the pews, more bucks in the budgets, and more bling in the buildings. I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. Sometimes churches just imitate secular models of success, right? But sometimes religious people do the opposite. The fake fruit of religious faithfulness, I think, I'm going to make up a word here, might be called faithism. Faithism. Not faithfulness, but faithism. What do I mean? Well, when you're stuck in a faithism culture, a religious culture, your faith is ultimately in your faith. And you want to be good at faith. And you envy people that seem to have more faith and you look down on people with less faith. You've made your faith about your faith. Your faith is in faith. And by the way, guess who then your faith is not in? It's not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what you're not doing when your faith is in your faith? Well, you're not doing the one thing that really matters. You're not being 
faithful. It's a small and it's a pathetic and it's a frightening world when you are stuck inside your own faith. But notice in our parable that just like Jesus doesn't demand success or the master in the parable doesn't demand success, the master in the parable also doesn't spiritualize faithfulness. He doesn't say, here's a hundred years worth of wages, just believe really hard. If you can see it, then you can be it. If you just believe it, there's nothing to it. What matters is your belief that you'll make five more talents. The master just wants the servant to be faithful with his wealth. And that means being wise and steady and dependable and creative and active. There's a bad habit sometimes in religion. People sort of faithify secular pressures of success. They tell you simply trust the Lord. And if you fail, they'll usually tell you that you just weren't trusting the Lord enough. They're making your faith the the measure of success. There are times, of course, in the Gospels where Jesus points out the great faith that people have, right? It pleases him when people trust his father. But this parable from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, it doesn't faithify success. It doesn't praise faithism. Instead, Jesus' story invites us into something that's more genuine, more like him. It calls us into a faithful life, into the fruit of the Spirit that is faithfulness. The faithful servants here in this story, they receive this massive sum of money from their master. And verse 16, as soon as the master goes away, the first two servants are working on their assignment. They're putting their master's money to work. And verse 19, the master's gone for a long time. But by the time that he returned, the faithful servants have doubled their master's investment. Now, who knows? This is a story, right? Who knows what they did to double the money? Who knows how many successes and failures they had along the way? Maybe one of them bought a field, planted a crop, and then there was a drought. Maybe the price of land went way down. Maybe there was an epidemic and things were tough for a year or two. Or maybe There were a few normal years and then a really great year with a great crop. Maybe the price of the land went up and then he sold the field. We don't know how they did it, but it wasn't magic. It wasn't faithism. All we know is that they were faithful. The master doesn't say, well done, rich and successful servant. But the master says, well done, faithful servant. Now contrast that with the third servant here. As soon as he gets his bag of money, he goes and he buries it. He's not even going to try. Remember, this master is gone a long time. And that means that for 99.99% of the time that he was responsible for his master's money, he was literally doing nothing. (laughs) Doing nothing to serve his master exercising no creativity, no initiative, no savvy, no patience. He's seeing nothing through over the long haul. 
He's burning no calories. He's not even thinking about this responsibility that he has. And when the master comes back, you see what his excuse is, right? Uh, Verse 24, look, master, I was afraid of you. You're rich and powerful. You get things done and people get things done for you. So I just wanted to be safe. I was scared. And notice that the master in verse 26 doesn't say, oh man, I'm sorry for intimidating you. I didn't mean to make you think I was. No, the master says, you're a lazy and wicked servant. (laughs) It's really astonishing, isn't it? You lazy and wicked servant. You see, the the problem with the servant is that he took no joy in his status as a servant of the master. He only thought of himself. Now, what is the result of these three servants and their faithfulness or lack thereof? Well, notice that the faithful two servants, they get three things from their master. What does the master say? They get to hear, well done. They are entrusted with more responsibility. They're rewarded for their work. And they get to enter into the happiness and joy of their master. Isn't that something? You see, Jesus is showing us that as servants of our God and Father, we were made for these three things, to hear these three things from our master. Good, here's more, let's celebrate. Good, here's more, let's celebrate. Somebody asked me last night if I ever preach on hell. I thought that was an interesting question. And what I said was that I preach on it when it is in the scripture that I'm preaching on. Well, actually, here is sort of an allusion to hell, isn't there? Jesus says that the lazy, wicked servant, verse 28, does not get to hear these three things that we were made for. And this is, in fact, the sorrow of hell. To not hear, good. To not hear, here's more. To not hear from your master, let's celebrate. In other words, to be outside when the party is going on inside. And to realize that actually, even though you resent the host for not having you at the party, you've always really disliked and distrusted this host anyway, and you wouldn't want to hear his voice, receive his rewards, have more of his responsibilities, and share a toast with him anyway, even if you could. See, the tragedy is that some people think that God is a bookkeeper only, like he's a secular boss. We think God is maybe a spiritual bookkeeper too, constantly gauging and scrutinizing our spiritual energy, constantly asking us if we really believe. Do you really believe? Like really deep down believe? I'm not sure if you do. But the spirit of God, the real God, brings about fruit in our lives. And that fruit is actually independent of success as well as enthusiasm. The Spirit brings forth a steady fruitfulness that's birthed from 
the deep-seated trust that God is different than you might expect, that he is good and faithful and kind and generous and gracious. And because God is completely secure in his own wealth and power, he's able to invest in our lives without worrying, and he's able to invest in our lives with a big smile. Friends, if we strive for success or for super spirituality, then we have fundamentally misjudged God. And we've created an image of God in the image of our culture or in the image of religious culture, rather than discovering the face of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to impress your God based on the secular models of success, then you're going to have to find another God because this one's not impressed. Because the God of our Lord Jesus Christ loves the fruit of faithfulness and is committed to seeing it in our lives. If you want to impress your God based on your super spiritual ability to just believe really hard, you're going to have to find some other God to impress because the God and Father of our Lord Jesus is looking for the fruit of faithfulness, not a strong feeling of belief somewhere deep in your soul. And where have we seen this kind of faithfulness that we're talking about in a human life? Well, of course, we've seen this kind of faithfulness, human faithfulness over time that imitates God's own faithfulness throughout eternity. We've seen it in Jesus himself. 30 years, think of this, 30 years of waking up each day, of learning, of growing, of praying, of hearing the voice of his father, and then walking in the ways of his father. And then three years of speaking and praying and healing in his public ministry. And then, as if that lifelong faithfulness weren't enough, at the end of those 33 years, one long Thursday of faithfulness, one long Friday of faithfulness, one long Saturday. Jesus said, Father, I love and I trust you. I know that you're good. I am acquainted with your smile. And so I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to love and I'm going to serve the people in my life in words and in deeds. And he did it beautifully and faithfully. He did it in private and he did it in public. And he did it all the way to the end, didn't he? And you know what he heard when he rose again and when he ascended to his father? He heard those three things that every one of us wants to hear. He heard, good. He heard, here's more. And he heard, let's celebrate. Friends, to be a Christian is to love and to trust and to follow the kind of God and father who sent the kind of son who showed that kind of faithfulness to us, his people. People who really struggle, actually, to be faithful. To be a Christian is to love this kind of God and Father so much that we learn to stop striving for success 
and stop searching for spiritual feelings as an end in, in and of themselves, and we start to follow Jesus in step-by-step faithfulness, one foot in front of the other over a lifetime, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. And we start to see the smile of the Father in front of us. We start to anticipate the words that we'll hear at the end of our lives. Good, here's more, let's celebrate. And those words even now begin to ring in our souls and we long to hear them with our ears. And so we put one spiritual foot in front of the other over a lifetime following Jesus. And that ends up being so good for the people in our lives. And we will hear these words, friends. We will hear, good, here's more, let's celebrate. Because if we belong to Jesus, his spirit will produce the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. May it be so for each of us, and may it be so for our church as well. Amen. Father, we pray that the words that have been spoken and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be acceptable in your sight. And perhaps today, even more so, that the faithfulness that we seek to produce in our lives by your Spirit's power would be such that it honors and glorifies Jesus and is very good for our neighbor. We ask it in his name. Amen.